Okay, we're back. <laughs> All right, so let's just frame it up. We're talking impromptu about money and uh, the statement. Can I say a statement? Mike said, Mike said, uh, I don't like money. And I said, well, that's not true because yesterday you said money is energy, and I know you like energy. So, <laughs> Yes, so I prefer to deal in energy rather than dealing in money. So say I do something for you, I would rather you do something nice for me or do something nicer for somebody else versus, you know, like maybe if you owed me money and then I feel bad because, you know, you're indebted to me. You should never loan money to friends, right, unless you really, really trust them or you don't want to be friends with them anymore because money <laughs> or if you loan them money knowing you'll never get it back and you do it for their benefit because if you loan someone money it should be money that you don't expect returned so that you don't turn into a collection agent and that takes away that kind of relationship grind of owing somebody right. and then you being a collector or them being a debtor to you so if you do own money to a friend or do you loan money to family or whatever? Just kiss that money goodbye. Say it's gone. Say it's not coming back. And then if it's paid back, it's a pleasant surprise. But if it's not, there's no animosity there. And so in this English language that we're discussing right now, that is why I don't like money in that aspect. Like I know I need money to have insurance. I need money to buy gas. I need money to do what I do. But I don't... I, or I, I don't like what money represents per se or how people are really into the money in, in an, an unhealthy way. You can be into money and, you know, but you're healthy with it. You could, shoot, you could be into anything as long as moderation in all things except for underwaters, right? It's, it's uh, when is enough enough, which comes back to our thing that we were talking about earlier about, you know, millionaires or, or whatever. And, and I know that I live in a world where I can contemplate that, right? I'm not starving. I'm not waiting for money to come so I can eat I, I live comfortably and fine I don't have any issues and for most of my life I haven't you know either because I was born in America or because I was in the military or I had a job with the government like we I mean there have been some little bit sketchy times where it's a little bit you know I'm, I've left one trapeze swing and I'm waiting for the other one to to grab into my hands but I know that that trapeze swing is coming so I'm okay with you know a little bit of free fall here or there uh, the best thing that ever happened to me was to lose my job because then I was free you know it's it's hard we were talking about this yesterday to walk away from you you have everything taken care of every, the military gives you everything and then you've decided to leave and it's like whoa I'm going from something to nothing I have all this stuff I'm guaranteed I'm getting paid on the 1st and the 15th I'm guaranteed if I get hurt I can go to a doctor all those things just disappear and, and especially for me at the time as a single parent worrying about my kids you know like well I need to keep them with insurance I need to feed them that was my only thing but so my relationship with money is more I try to just avoid it because I find that it brings people unhappiness like I have a, I have a deal with God I told him that please I don't ever want to win the lottery on the off chance that I am an asshole and that by becoming rich it makes me an asshole well what I like I like what you said where you, you don't like money in the sense that uh, you don't like to focus on the money right so the money uh, money represents the okay money is something that can only transfer between two human beings that have that 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 agree that there's value between right so so that is a relationship so there's there money is about a relationship that you have to a human being or a group of human beings or 
a company which has a group of human beings, so I guess that would be a group uh, or whatever it may be. And so if no corporations have people they're not people I know that's fucking hilarious corporations are not people for God's sakes it's like just 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 the rich trying to get rid of all liability and thinking that that's how to live your life like, if you focus your entire life on getting rid of liabilities like you're just you're just missing the point but that's the fallacy of the rich man in my opinion we can get into that but what I was saying was um so if you focus, like Mike was saying, on the people, right, that you are with, you will have money. You will fucking have money coming in. Um, always. And it's always about relationships. And so, like, uh, one of the best things that ever happened to me was losing my job. At the time, I didn't think I wanted it. But I was also building something on the side that now I was forced to go full into. And through that process of, you know, like, in the Air Force, you get paid on the 1st and 15th. Uh, when you're on the GI Bill, you get paid on the first of every month. Uh, you know that you know that the federal government is going to plop some cash into your bank account, so you don't really have to focus on those relationships as much, I guess you could say, because you have a huge governing body that's giving you money. So when you lose your job or you are no longer working for a company or the federal government like that, now all of a sudden your money ha- your money still has to come from relationships, but you don't have a relationship to the big society, the overall society, the taxpayer and all that shit. Now you have to go directly to a human being or another uh, human being or your neighbor or, I don't know, uh, uh, maybe a boss that you work for in a... In a uh, or if you're like you and you save your money and you don't... I mean, and I always try to keep a three-month buffer. I got, I got at least... All right. Well, so just to, just to finish that, it's very cool to focus on the relationships, aka the people, right? That you want to be around, and the money will it it necessarily follows. Just like human beings learn by osmosis, they also uh, they also gain finances by osmosis. Like you're only as rich as the five as your five friends, uh, your five closest friends, if you've heard that. And oftentimes that's very true. So those five closest relationships are on par with wherever you're at financially. If you want to go to the next level, start going to places where you know that people are very, very wealthy, where you want to be. And then if you vibe with those people, you will for sure do that. But a lot of times you find that you don't. So I want to throw you guys, because uh, I've talked about this yesterday, but I was talking about a lot on this thing. If there are no wall, there are no walls in the ocean, right? But if you find one, use it. How many times did you guys hear that in in the pool? And you're like, "There's no fucking walls in the ocean. I can't put my foot down. I can't do this. I can't." Like I am on my own. But as yesterday, I found a wall in the ocean. I walked on it. I saved myself about 30 minutes of paddling through waves, and and I was happy with it. Um, I don't know. I, I never heard that in the pool. I was too busy um, seeing the wizard and um, trying to stay alive, I suppose. But I do agree with the idea that if you're knowledgeable and aware in your surroundings, whenever you find an advantage, you can use that advantage. If you're unaware, if you're not looking for it, if you're thinking, I'm alone, I have nothing, this is the ocean, it's just going to be unforgiving, then you won't find those things. Right, so I'm a proponent of awareness in your surroundings and then taking the advantage that's given to you to be able to use for your benefit. Yeah, I don't know, that's interesting. I, I So what is it if you find a wall there's no walls in the pool, but if, if you find a wall in the ocean, take it? 
So when, when you, as a student in your treading, they, well, they would talk to me. <laughs> but, so they would say, there are no walls in the ocean. Like, get away from that wall. You're not going to touch that wall till I tell you you can. And they would say, there are no walls in the ocean. And uh, about four years ago, I was surfing out in Port A, and there was a, a pier. And it was, I was paddling out through the middle of the pier because the waves were just... And through the middle, I would duck behind the pier, the pylon, when the wave came, it would shield me, and then I would whip around it and paddle around the next one and for every wave. And I was like, holy fuck, I found a wall in the ocean, and I used it, and my mind was, like, blown away. So the... The, there are no limitations. Like in, in you and your recon ability, you've seen all the options, right? We've got pace. We got primary, alternate contingency, in in emergency, and I believe that you have. And and I, I throw it back to both of you. Do the same thing I do. You walk into a room. You know 80 exits. You know where you're gonna go, what you're gonna do, how it's gonna go down, in in all aspects of your life. I- I can't say that. It doesn't translate to all aspects of my life. But definitely when I walk into a room and I, I, you know, from before the military until after the military, the main thing I do is I, I look at the people. I don't really look at the facilities as much, but I definitely look at every single person and I definitely am looking for, okay, who is this person that seems to be in control of that? Who's this person to be in control of that? And I'm, I'm uh, you know... That's what I'm I, yeah, That's it's what there. I'm it's definitely there. Like I'm focusing on more more external awareness than I when than I was before. But that's all I'm saying. It's it's external. People, places, and thing. To me, it was the whole thing. You know, as as a uh, what Colonel Math no General Mathis said. You know, you should once you meet everybody, you should know how to kill them. As a PJ, I have to not only know how to kill you, I also have to know how to save you. So that's another reason why I watch people because they would teach us in paramedic school to watch people because you're like, oh, that person's going to be a hard intubation. Oh, that person's got, you know, looks like a bad gag reflex. So that person, oh, they're a heart attack waiting to happen. So you're just watching people and almost triaging the whole thing. But I triage every room, every person, every place, everything. And then I relax because then I have an answer for everything. Yeah, I guess that's, that's preparation. You're literally preparing yourself in every for every environment for contingency plans. Okay, so yeah, the military teaches you preparation, or actually, it beats it into your soul, really. <laughs> I, I, I've been told it's a little bit of the PTSD too. <laughs> well, but what what we're talking about here is operant conditioning, right? The military is an expert at operant conditioning. It's the Pavlovian dog principle where he feeds the dogs and rings a bell, and so eventually they equate the sound of the bell with the meat coming, and they salivate when the bell rings, even when there is no meat, right? Because they've been conditioned, they've been given a stimulus, and it's created a response over and over and over and over again. Well, that's what the military does with us. It's what it's doing with you guys who are listening to this right now, right? They're creating a response based on the stimulus they give you, and they're very, very good at it. And so I would agree with Mike in saying that some of this is the PTSD. Some of this is usable. Some of it does not translate in necessity to our environment at home. And I've been fighting that battle for a long time. And I fight that battle with people in my office trying to learn the talents and techniques that you can use. And when they become a stumbling block for you, 
with relationships, with connections, with feeling at peace, with anxiety, the things that you may find yourself struggling with somewhere down the line because of that operant conditioning, because you've been trained to do these things everywhere you go, and then you can never rest. If you're always in the red, there's no time for peace in your mind because you're always at hypervigilance. And so there is a little bit to understand here in what's useful, what's not useful, when is an appropriate situation to feel that way, and how do I train myself out of the conditioning for the military mission. That stuff is very valuable in the field. It has to be done the right way. All that information you get when you're training in the military is what's needed to use to save other people's lives, to save your life, to affect a positive outcome on the battlefield. When you get home, all of that, 100% of that is not 100% useful 100% of the time. So would you say that you're institutionalized based on your training, your special operations training? So I definitely say there are those that are institutionalized and that I was. And I'm in my transition. I'm still working out the kinks. I call it deconstructing Superman. Okay, they build you into Superman. They make you Superman. That's what you have to believe because that's what you have to be able to do, right? When you get out, you don't have to be Superman. You don't, and there's pieces of that that you can peel off that aren't going to devalue your experience on the planet or anybody else's, and it will take some of that anxiety and some of that pressure away, some of that anger, some of that isolation from people. It will take it away if you don't feel like you have to be that all the time. Damn, okay, so we talked a little bit about mental preparation framework and the, what was that, Pavlov's dog type of thing, and we that spawned from our financial relationships and money conversation was what we started the second half on, right? Do you think that there are uh, uh, Pavlovian triggers that uh, financial uh, people, business people, marketers, advertisers use? to keep people where they're at do you think that maybe your upbringing your parents that level of socioeconomic success whatever they had does not ring true in your institutionalization so if you're going to change and grow and outgrow your parents or whatever uh bad stuff you may have come from um (laughs) you're, you're going against some serious serious subconscious triggers some serious seriously ingrained mental practices yes and so studies show that 80% of operators had something bad happen to them, which leads me to... What do you mean, something bad? Uh, an uncle touched them, the priest previous, touched... Previous anything. Any trauma... Some type of abuse or some type of trauma prior to military service, right? Yes. And so Ben brought up that... The, the reason that a lot of us have PTSD is because this wasn't your first PTSD event. And so you, you've had something else happen to you as a child most of the time because most, you know, by the time you come in, you're 21, 23, you're still basically a child. Not in, in well, shoot, we're all children. Men are children until about 46, and then maybe we start <laughs> not. But, but you know what I'm saying? So something bad happens to you. You now go to war, which is the ultimate most fucked up thing that you can do to a person. And so you go from, okay, maybe your uncle touched you once to I'm in the middle of a fucking war and people are dying. What the fuck do I do? Oh, my God. So that's twice. And and so, but I don't think anybody's really talking about this because, 
Oh. Well, you're talking about reintroducing the trauma or choosing a life that has that trauma involved in it after the fact because that's... And the reason that we do... Please don't. Alright. And the reason that we do is because something bad happened to us and we need to overcome something. So rather than just looking for a little hill to climb, you're looking for the maximum hill you can climb because you're outrunning your shit and that's why we work hard and we play hard because we're outrunning all the shit that's already in there and you're doing what you can to survive because it's all you know how to do yeah i'd say the key word in all of that is survival right in your first experience when you're traumatized at a young age you're just trying to survive you don't know how to cope with this you don't know how to process it you don't know how to get past it or through it you're just trying to survive the next day so when you invoke that mechanism, it gets reinforced over time. It uses your resources of your mind and your body to keep this memory and this event from flooding you and from overwhelming you. And that is an extreme amount of energy that's required to hold it back, to keep you functioning, um, to get through the day, to get through the hour, all of those things. Then you add to that war. And, and that's something that changes people no matter what they've been through in their life, right? The intensity of war is something that cannot be described. It can only be experienced. So once you understand that, once you've been taught that lesson, you don't have the resources anymore to hold both down. You can't keep the, ba- the past back and down from overwhelming you and the new combat experience that you've had. And so those resources are split now and at some point it does overwhelm, right? Without the right transition, without the right kind of guidance, it overwhelms. And then we find ourselves in a position we're not used to being in. When you're built to be Superman, you're not used to an environment where you're not in control of your emotions or in control of your heart rate or your blood pressure. And when that stuff hits you, it creates two problems. One is that you're in fight or flight mode and you don't quite know what to do with it. And two is that you realize for the first time that you're not in control of your physical response to that trigger. And you don't even know what it is and it's very confusing. And this is, this is the first event where guys get into trouble and start to find help for PTSD is when they become overwhelmed and they can't get out of it, can't control it. And I, and I want to say that, like, as I swerve us, how, when did they die? At 37 minutes. <laughs> you can hear, ah! Um, <laughs> so this is where the relationships come in handy in that you have someone that you can talk to. And at an, this is why the, the Spartans or, you know, everybody had, you had a father and then you had a mentor. You know, and, and people seek out mentors now. We didn't know to seek out mentors. We just knew to talk to some old dude and maybe he'd help you. But the, the way that people ask, though, I don't think they understand the mentor-mentee relationship. Like, it's almost like another parent. Because I have to have that much care in how you turn out. And so if you can find someone, luckily I've, I've had Doc all my life, that can be there for you, you know, is your Yoda and that you can talk to, the quicker you can start talking about this shit, the happier you're going to be. You're not going to be drinking and fighting and doing all the other crazy stuff. Uh, well, maybe a little bit, but you will have other uh, avenues uh, to let that shit out. And just by talking to somebody, 
or you ever been after a mission and you just looked at somebody and you're like dude and they're like dude and you're and that's it and you understand you know and and then someday maybe you can talk about it but the quicker you can find a way to talk about and deal with whatever you got going on the better it's gonna be because the waiting long and long because I didn't deal with any of my shit till like 42 you know and that was way past but I didn't know how or or I didn't have somebody that I could and and all those things you know or it's like a fucking um, you know fire hydrant in the face there's I don't even know what to say I'm like how are you feeling I don't know I can't find words for it yeah, I think it's important just just to put in perspective of what we're talking about because um, we're in the prelim stages, right? Um, these guys aren't at war now. Um, they're in a place where they're preparing for that. And so it's a, a, extremely important to understand these principles of mentorship, of safety, of a place where you can communicate, and um, also getting into the idea of mental health with anything that you've brought with you to your military experience get through that stuff work on it it's not weakness it's strength it takes courage to do counseling it takes work to do counseling it takes a little bit of courage and trust to talk to someone about these kinds of things that bother you and that's one of the reasons why a lot of us in those experiences have just kind of sat there and looked at each other because we didn't know what to say right but there is some catharsis in just like I remember John and Dan Um, when they went down and just going over there and being in a room with guys felt better when we weren't even saying a word, just sitting there and staring off into space, not knowing what to talk about. uh, It felt better than being alone, right? So I think that's super important when we talk about a preemptive strike on mental health issues. If you're carrying trauma into your military experience, be around someone that you trust, that is safe, that you can speak with, that understands you. Uh, that relationship is incredibly important. A bunch of uh, us will have our military families, and when our wives or significant others or us are talking about something that we've been through, the only people that really understand it are those who've experienced it. And so it can be really important to just have those brothers that you can reach out to and those people that understand you. They've been through what you've been through. You don't have to say much, but what you do say is important and powerful, and it gives you this release of stress and relaxes the opportunity that you have to try and hold it back because you've invited it to dinner, because you're discussing it, because you're processing it. I remember right after Cunningham died, I mean, like, he's not even, he's still dead on the mountain, and we're cracking jokes. And they're like, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, what, do you want to see us cry? Or do you just, we're, we're okay right now. We're just making jokes. And everybody was... Yeah, there's this, there's this great story about what they call gallows humor, dark humor. It's actually an evidence-based stress relief or coping mechanism for people who have intensely difficult jobs from a moral aspect, right? When you deal with death or dying, when you deal with people's health insurance, all of those kinds of things, uh, that creates an extreme amount of pressure and causes trauma. Gallows humor is not only an evidence-based relief of stress in those situations, but it's encouraged. So um, there's a story about these 
uh, med students that were working in the ER and they've been working 12-hour shifts for a month straight. They're all tired. They've been doing this a long time. They order pizza from this one particular place all the time, right? And they had ordered pizza. They were all super hungry. And of course, like it always does in emergency medicine, right when you're about to eat, bang, the alarms go off and you've got somebody in there. So they had somebody in there working on him, stab wound, gunshot wound. They work on him for 30 minutes. He doesn't make it, right? They were doing the best they could. All hands were in there. Everybody's exhausted and hungry. And this guy just dies on the table. So you can imagine how everybody's feeling at the moment, right? Fucking quitter. Then they realize <laughs> that the pizza is outside on the ground. The box is open. It's spilled. The guy they were working on was the pizza delivery guy. Whoa. So, and they know this guy, right? They've been having this guy come to their shifts all the time. They order pizza frequently, whatever. And the one thing that the um, one of the interns says, the first thing he says is like, do we still need to tip him? And then the other guy that's standing next to him is like, we're still eating the pizza, right? So, and this is immediately after the fact. This stuff relieves stress. It helps bonding you to the other people in the experience. And it does help you heal use it it's powerful i love dark humor i'm into it and you use it anyway so you may as well not feel like there's some stigma behind it or you shouldn't say these things with that i will say in mixed company that is not going to go down well don't tell your dark humor jokes with somebody who hasn't been to war who doesn't understand the environment um who may have had a civilian job all their lives they don't get it it's not funny to them you'll come out sounding like a horrible person. It's happened to me before. Um, there are places where you learn that are less appropriate for the really funny stuff that makes you laugh. Just share that with the guys and girls you know can appreciate it. So it, it's, because your, your delivery, whether it's serious or not serious, always to me has a hint of sarcasm. Oh, yes. uh, except for, well, even yesterday there was a little bit, but when, when you were like, just be human and I really like that because it's on the same uh, note that we were always trying to hit that like just be you you know be the best you that you can be and you know I don't need to be anything else I just need to be human you're already human and you're on a whole planet full of them <laughs> so unfortunately. I, unfortunately yeah <laughs> but I really enjoyed the way that you just be human it's, it's like just be human, and then there's comma, dumbass, is what I hear in the word. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was dumbass. It might have been a German curse word or something, but I definitely have that note. You do pick up uh, your radar is functioning properly. A hint of sarcasm, cynicism, um, even sometimes a little narcissism in, in the comments I make for my own pleasure yes. because I feel like it's funny, right? And then... Sometimes people don't pick up on that. So that makes it even more entertaining to me <laughs> because they just think I'm being straight serious and then it's and then it's laughable, right? But I do I do feel that a lot of times people are concerned with who they are and people are concerned with who everybody else is. And it's do I treat this kind of person this kind of way and all of that crap? Well, just be human, man. This the whole thing and in pararescue has no respecter of persons for job status for morality for whether or not they're smart with money for whether or not they're good in relationships liars thieves it doesn't say any of that 
It just says others. Someone other than me. With no other definition. No description. No detail. So be human. Understand what that means. Learn and grow in that direction. Well, if you want to talk about uh, that others may live, that's your the PJ uh, model. Well, I don't know what the SR one is now, but I do know that combat control has first there, and that's not actually how it went down in Afghanistan in 2001, and uh, that's not how it went down in Vietnam. Actually, it was the SR guys uh, that were there first. So, you know, I mean, that's the fronting versus bragging versus, you know, all the other stuff that we're talking about, but... Weather, so you know what's going on. <laughs> Sir, the sun will rise today as it has every day. Here's your, here's your weather brief for the rest of your fucking lives, people. All right, you ready? The sun will rise in the east as it has for thousands of years. Tomorrow and the fucking next day and the next day. All right? All of it in between. It's up for you to figure out. Who ya? <laughs> be brief, be brilliant, and be gone. <laughs> Weather. <laughs> so your, I believe. So your cynicism to me is a, your gallows humor all day long. Okay. Some of it. So I got to say that the, the 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 psychology behind this, I think, is and and I can tell you in the team rooms, there's been just constant fucking laughs all the time. Everyone making fun of everybody and, you know, nothing necessarily off limits. Very little off limits. Occasionally a guy gets ticked about you making fun of his mom or, you know, some things that are... Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But as far as job related, you know, these types of like traumatic situations, uh, you would joke about him and joke about all kinds of crazy stuff like that. And and humor has a way of de-escalating a situation, has a way of de-escalating the stress and what's going on. And what you realize is like, it's not something you have to consciously do. You just have to find things funny because there's no other way uh, to relieve that tension, to relieve that trauma, to relieve that stress or whatever it is that, whatever the depths of what you just went through, uh, you know, uh, or, or not the depths, that's the wrong word, the severity, the what? The intensity of that situation, the heaviness of that situation has to be de-escalated. And humor is the best way to do that. And a lot of people will be like, oh, well, it's, you know, uh, cocky or arrogant or some sort of, well. Humor comes from a dark place. Yeah, yeah, or maybe dark or inappropriate or whatever. Well, and, and the good humor does. The good, the good humor. <laughs> Look at um, Robin Williams, right? I did not know he was in such a dark place until after he died. And then I looked at his humor again and went, oh, fuck. Like, he was really hurting. Like, I didn't, well, because I didn't. He's fucking beautiful. He's hilarious. But what it, all right, so, and I bring it up because, um, Gentle Ben, uh, (laughs) or Curious George, we'll call him. He, he caught on to, like, I'd been making a certain kind of jokes lately. I just got back from a funeral. I just encountered a certain person and it was on my brain, but I didn't even know it. So like when my sister died, I had all kinds of dead sister jokes. Like the boys were playing soccer and they sucked. I'm like, you know what? Your aunt would play better than this, (laughs) you know, or your aunt can play better than you and she's dead. And they're like, what the fuck, dude? But I was, that was the way I dealt with losing my sister. And so I've been making these jokes lately and you caught on to it, which then made me look back at, Look at all the shit I'm talking. Look at all the anger I've got. Look at, and 
and it, it didn't resonate. I, I didn't know where it was coming from. And I didn't even catch on to it till you showed me the mirror. So I'm very grateful for that. But that's that constant introspection of looking and seeing and analyzing and OODA looping your entire life. So that way, you know, I don't make that mistake. Well, not that I make that mistake, but that I don't, um, I don't, it, it's not, it's uh, EDMR, EMDR. It's uh, NDOMD. It's fucking Depeche Mode. I don't know. <laughs> but but so you can talk about what you do uh, with EMDR. And why it's important. Okay. But first I'd like to say I, I will have some good dead sister jokes for you the okay. next time that we talk. For sure. For sure. I, I'm going to get in on that because I've never been able to do dead sister jokes. That's a new one for me. Like, so, yeah, I'm going to get into that for sure. We'll, we'll find something to laugh about. Um yeah, it's also it's also a defense mechanism. Um, in the science of development, there are these defense mechanisms that we use. One of them is humor. So there's a difference between dark humor and like self-deprecating humor, for example. So a lot of times I do this self-deprecating humor. It's a little bit of a defense mechanism for me with personal connection with people, right? I have always had a Christian background with a hatred of people and I don't know how that's supposed to combine but that's a lot of that (laughs) a lot of that in me is that's something that I work on you know and so part of what I try to work on is my defensive humor that is self-deprecating but I keep a hundred percent of my dark humor for sure sometimes they cross over a little bit and the lines are blurred and that's okay because it's very entertaining for myself but it is a nice separation to understand because if you have a defensive humor, there's something there that needs to be dealt with, right? Processed, worked through. And if you have dark humor, you're physically processing it. That's part of what you're doing when you make the jokes is you're coping with the pain or the struggle that's happening in your mind. So you do that and it takes a little edge off, just like Michael was talking about, where you kind of take the volume down a couple of decibels on what's really in your head that's screaming at you that you can't get away from. So I think there's an important distinction there. Um, as far as EMDR, uh, it is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, and that was the first time I've ever said that right because I do struggle with dyslexia. So I'm very proud of myself for that. Um, this is a process where your protected memories become unprotected and your brain processes them the natural way it does when you sleep. Rapid eye movement goes through the events of the day, the emotions you felt, it puts them all in categories in the file cabinet in your brain. When you have an experience that overwhelms that system, it goes into fight or flight, it protects the memory of the event tied to your thoughts, your emotions, any other thing that could be connected to it, connects to it, and it hides it. And it says, we're not gonna deal with this because it will overwhelm us. So it's your self-defense and EMDR pulls that out of the limbic system where it's trapped into the adaptive information processing part of your brain and it allows you to use all the information you have all your intelligence your experiences and who you are to process that information in that event without you having to be overwhelmed by it so we break that trigger to outcome reaction and keep you out of fight or flight We let you process the information. Your brain does all the work. Um, It is what I believe 
the first step in healing through trauma is getting that done so that you can move forward with coping skills, with honoring people who are dead and the things that you've experienced, that kind of uh, work. So, uh, Magic Micah, was he bragging when he said that he was did it right the first time? <laughs> Which part? You didn't. You got that out right. Uh, was that bragging? I think it was more relief. He was just describing his emotion. Yeah, yeah. So actually, what I what I was talking about, like with bragging, like. Uh, no. So I was talking about financially, like or with anything that you're trying to change. But at that time, we were talking about financially, and I was like, yeah, it's pretty like new money, basic, like people that have had money for generations of time, you know, and they inherited. They're not gonna flaunt it like that because they've had it. That's not a big deal. You know what I mean? Like, but when you're new. I think you can solidify things by saying, yo, I just saved five grand over the past six months or some shit like that. Gecko. Like, yeah, with Geico, with Geico, yeah. No, but I mean, I think that, that like, yo, I'm, I don't know, just feeling proud in a way and also being vocal about it, you know? So I, I think of that as bragging. So I was... A sense of pride solidifies, here I got it. <laughs> Having a sense of pride solidifies the transformation, the change, the growth into your psych, into your psyche, psychologically, into your mental, and and that is like, you know. Could you say to yourself inside your head, it still get the same effect? Um, you know, I've heard of incantations and stuff like that. I don't know, but for me, it was definitely write it out, commit to it, the doing that, and 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 that, you know, more often than not brings about the change but then once when, when you want to keep it there you have to stay in that you know what i mean you have to oh, you have to stay in that basically but now we're <laughs> shit we're bouncing all over the place here but we're, we got into this therapeutic session of what was it emdr is that what it's called emdr okay and it's a natural way of basically uncovering some very, very deep emotions that may be unconscious that you maybe have no frame of reference to pull to pull from. And it's just so deep, you know what I mean? And uh, the nature of, you know, what you're going into, the nature of war is traumatic. So, you know, it's good to know on the back end. Well, it's good to know on the way in that that's the case, okay? Uh, you know that things can go wrong and, and bad things can happen and there's you know recovery processes and all kinds of stuff um, because if you go in there just you know naive thinking oh yeah I'm gonna go fuck everything up it's like well you know when you get into a fight people are shooting back you know if you get in a boxing match that guy's gonna try and hit you too like he's trying to hurt you like it's not just like some creative nonsense that you put in your head it's like woohoo I'm, you know I'm gonna go be a fighter or something like that it's like okay well you're ready to take some hits and so are you ready? Yeah, you're going to deliver the trauma. You're going to go wherever it is for this country and for war and, you know, deliver what needs to be delivered to defend whatever boundaries or ideas or anything, whatever the mission is at the time, right? You're going to deliver that. But you're, there's no way you're going to go through that and not receive some trauma back your way and have some shit go wrong back your way because we are humans and, and, and that's just how it goes. So know that going in and then what, what we're trying to tell you is this other shit on the back end here that's very, very new, very, very advanced and... Uh, highly effective and, and tons of people doing that research on the recovery process, the healing process and the sort of I don't want to say reintegration because I don't think you can ever reintegrate once you've been institutionalized in a career like 
Air Force Special Operations. Yeah, or once you've been into prison, like you have always. Like I talk to prisoners, like they have all. They're always in prison. Like you're always a military. Like that's always a part of your identity. So that's another thing we could talk about. But I believe I'm fully institutionalized, and there ain't no way I'm going back. Like I just because I see how I act and I see how I do things, and I try to turn it. But then when I turn it, I, I, I feel like I'm not myself. Do you know what I'm saying? So I just embrace it and grow rather than... Well, so like what Ben was talking about earlier about um, does this work on the outside? Do I need this or do I not need this anymore? If I need it, then I hone it and make it my skill. If I don't need it anymore, discard it and move on. And, and so for me right now, it's uh, stoplights. I pull up to a stoplight. There's People's Exhibit B. <laughs> I pull up to a stoplight. There's nobody fucking there. I look both ways. I see nobody. I treat it as a stop sign. I don't know if it's right. I don't know if it's wrong. But to me, I mean, I'm not doing it in the middle of traffic. I'm not doing it in the middle. It's 9 o'clock. It's 10 o'clock. I'm on a road in Wyoming, and there's a stop sign. It's a four-way stop, and there is nobody in any direction. I'm driving through the stop sign. Because I, to me, I've, I'm adapted and I've learned. And it's like, no, I'm not wasting my fucking time anymore on your stupid constructs. I'm freeing myself and I'm doing what is right. And it's conscientious living. And it's I'm not fucking anybody. I'm not stealing anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. Amen. I mean, all you're doing is changing your boundary frame of reference from the signs from the government entity that did that or whatever entity created that road and that you know way of doing things which by the way is illegal to your own personal boundaries and psychological understandings and and skills and abilities right and it's your skill and ability to observe and your trust in your own skills to know wait if there's a stop sign i know what the situation is like not just being a programmed robot. It's like, oh, I stop at every stop sign. I do this. You know, you're you're a thinking. I'm unconditioning myself. I hope so. But all right. So when you were in the Philippines, did you ever stop at any stop signs or anything? Uh, no traffic laws. No stop signs existed in that place. Um, <laughs> at least not where I was. And it was pretty hectic. Um, we did have to reconstitute a few people's either vehicles and or livestock after traffic accidents when we're trying to get done what we needed to get done um, so a little bit of chaos in the in the traffic idea but i'm picking up what you're laying down i do the same i use my information my knowledge my techniques my skills and abilities to navigate my life um, it's it's a fine line you do have to figure out which of those are of use to you and when you need them they will be there for you uh, a lot of guys take that to an extreme and and a lot of that extreme is about protecting themselves from being out and transitioning as long as you hold on to the idea that you're still in you're superman you've got it you've got to park head out at every location You've got to scan the exits. All of those things that you're doing as part of you holding on to the idea that you are still that guy that you needed to be when you were at war. And that's the mindset that we need to start learning how to disconnect from when it's no longer useful. I think of like a bulletproof mindset. But only... So I was invincible to about 26. And then... 
Tracy Cunningham died, and then I was like, ooh, all right, I'm not invincible totally, but I'm still doing pretty good. And then the next year after that, when Mike Maltz died, and if Mike Maltz can die, fucking anybody can die. And then when Nick McCaskill died, I was like, holy fuck, like anybody can die. And and that's a, I, I, I think I came in, or so the crow, childhood's over when you know you're gonna die. And if you know, but dying, there's nothing to be afraid of dying, maybe dying in certain ways. I would never, I was like, we were in the back of the helicopter and you know, somebody said, oh shit, we're all gonna die. I would just unplug and close my eyes. Yeah. And they're like, why are you doing that? I said, because the last thing in my mind, I do not want to see you screaming as we're fucking plummeting to our death. So I'm fucking going to bed. <laughs> Every one of us has done it. Every one of us has unplugged and closed our eyes and been ready to move on to the next phase of eternity or life or whatever you think comes after, right? I can be very specific and detailed about the audio that came on before I ripped that comm plug out and I was ready to have it a couple of times. And if it's true that helicopter pilots are the leading cause of death for PJs, then that's the situation you're going to find yourself in. All right. So just remember, disconnect, make peace. (laughs) Say your prayers. So, which leads me to... um, (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I like Quentin Tarantino So obviously you can tell there's zero transitions In this whole conversation It's whatever the fuck comes to our minds So with that being said um, You know I'm actually seeing some things that are connecting that come full circle like we talked about that early in the podcast And it's like oh that's relevant here That's relevant now That's why you guys better be writing this stuff down No pad and pen so, to what you were saying, <laughs> okay, so one, you have to believe in yourself, right? I mean, if you don't believe in yourself, so you have to believe that you are Superman. Like, I'm not going to get killed. I'm not going to die. I'm going to catch this wave. I'm not, you know, if you think you're not going to catch the wave, you're definitely not going to catch it. So, as part of my, uh, to add to this real quick a tangent still recording as part of my deployment when you when you go to deploy you have this huge checklist all this big blue regular air force stuff you have to do all the special operations you stuff that to do to prove to everybody that you're ready to rock and it's a huge folder and one of the things you have to do is uh, go to legal on base and uh, basically submit a will I didn't do this this is the only thing that I didn't do everything else was perfect in my folder but I didn't do this and when they got there you know and we're checking through it I was like I'm not doing that because there was no way I'm going to die over there in Afghanistan, period, end of story. Do you know what I mean? And why would I ever have a contingency plan for, de- for death? No. We can have t- contingency plans for me breathing and my boys breathing and us coming home and figuring it all out. But I'm not, there's no contingency for me after death. You know, I had a life insurance policy, but the only reason I had a life insurance policy is because it helped me get a better rate on my mortgage while I was alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like the, who gives a shit? Like I see, I see some um, head nodding and stuff like that, uh, agreeing with everything that you're saying. I will say though that I was forced to create my memorial and funeral details when I went and read in with the tier one guys, and when we went and did that mission or whatever, they made us do it. But I did put in there that I wanted the song to be played at my funeral on bagpipes, Fifty Cent in the club, because. <laughs> I wanted everybody at my funeral 
to just remember that that's who I am. <laughs> Don't sit here and weep and moan over a bunch of bullshit. Like, go have some fun, motherfucker. Like, it listen to the music, enjoy it. If it's going to be on the Babkipes and you're going to recognize it, then you know it came from me. That's like <laughs> that humor side that I like to have. So I did have to fill that out. But I, I agree with everything that you're saying about the mindset of this is not what I'm going there to do. I'm not. I'm going there to save lives or I'm going there to protect freedom. I'm not going there to die. And that tends to be the focus a lot of times. It really messes with people. The idea of I'm going there to die. This is going to last time. I'm going to see everybody. I'm going to say goodbye to them all. All of those things is the wrong mental mindset to put yourself in heading off. You're always coming back. You always see... The positive, the end, the everything's, you know, the, the guy climbing El Cap, he saw every fucking sh- 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 grab hold as he went up and he already saw it in his head. And by thinking positive or by putting, like we said earlier, the energy out, you know, like I, I told uh, Evelyn that, you know, she's going to film my surf video, you know, I just like putting out, just by putting it out there in the universe, hey, you know, she can think about it and maybe it's not this universe, but maybe some other universe, it happens. And as, as a single dude, you don't need a will. Because fuck it, you're dead. Doesn't matter. Uh, as a person with kids or family, please make sure you have a will. And whether it's going to your wife, your sister, uh, there are all kinds of stories with dudes and families fighting after he's dead. The wife said it. The girlfriend. The well, she's only his girlfriend. You know. Well, they were together for eight years. Doesn't that kind of mean they were together? And uh, you know. So with so for your thing, I had to have a will because I had the kids, but. I didn't take my dog tags because the only people who die need dog tags. I didn't take my death picture. So only people that are going to die need their death picture. Uh, I believe if you keep moving, death can't catch you. So keep moving fast. And, and I learned from the man with no name, if death doesn't know your name, he can't find you. So I have little tricks that I go. And now we know that if you tie the sheets at the end of your bed into a knot, you cannot die in bed. So, <laughs> I got all kinds of loopholes that I'm looking for, or that I fill, or that I check. Look, I mean, I, I haven't talked to a lot of operators that were deployed that didn't have some sort of something going on. Something going on related to not an agreement with death. Not not about it. No, those are actual banditos. We just got passed by uh, some motorcycle, uh, the banditos all colored out. Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> All right, dude. Why don't you guys lose some weight, fucking PT? <laughs> but we don't say anything bad about T3I. <laughs> no, we don't. No, we don't. So, Mike, I think I think we might have to sit down in my office and talk about a few of these superstitions versus, like, the preparatory <laughs> stuff that makes you feel good about your life and living it. We, we may have to have a discussion about that. I don't know which ones you have and which ones are healthy or not, but, you know... It, it, uh, it, works it so might. Far. It might need some time. <laughs> I don't want to take away. I don't want to present to you a fear of death, but oh, no, like no, we're no gonna move death. on. No, no, moving on is the best thing, dude. If I die, I'm no longer here, and I don't have to deal with the shit. And I'm in heaven, surfing waves with Jimi Hendrix. And if I don't make it to heaven, I'm at least gonna make it to purgatory because I was a PJ, so I'm okay. <laughs> Caveat: We can neither confirm nor deny Mike will be in heaven after his death. <laughs> yes. But we know that he'll be somewhere not here and it can't be any worse than here is all I'm saying. <laughs> well, 
well, I'll probably be right there with you in what I call the party car, like the the last group of people that like there were no seats in the front car the like luxury dining car then there's like some seats in the middle car or whatever all those are filled up when mike and i go down i know it we're going to be in the back hanging out with all the other people that are trying to party on the way oh i really enjoyed this weekend like it's been i think helpful for all of us i think dr jane goodall has definitely gotten some good notes off so i i make comments that uh because I've, I've let cones live with me and then she sees when dudes come over they always stay at the house right um, my house has always been if somebody needed a place to go they could go uh, dudes getting divorced or got in a fight with a wife yeah come on in. I don't have a wife so you're welcome to come in and stay with us you know and dudes have stayed for a while and so Shanda watches you know because it's all dudes and uh, she comes up with theories and ideas and then we bounce them off ID each other and, and work off it and I I think it's good because, all right, so um, one time there was a, a wife and a bunch of dudes were all chatting, talking shit and saying whatever. And the wife looked at her husband and said, do you think you guys are normal? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, because you hang out with each other all day long and that's all you know. So this is normal to you, but it's not. And so I always tell people, and this goes back to my make friends, make friends with them, make people want straight gay, brown, white, whatever, so that way you see all the different angles of where people come from and understand people and as much as you can see as much as life. I mean, because say you, you, you grew up in Texas, you know, yeah, you got some beautiful sunsets, you got some clouds, it's not a bad place, but what's it like in Jakarta? What's it like in Europe? What's it like, you know, other, what are other people's existence like? And the more people that you know and the, and like, uh, ben said earlier, we're having a conversation. Well, we're having an argument, as we said. But I think we're having a conversation in that we're just speaking because nobody has to be right, nobody has to be wrong, but everybody is able to say their piece and, and it's valued and, and there's nothing... Who cares? Like, it's it's just who we are. And, and you know, as we... I can be me and you can be you. We can all coexist together. And, and I'm sure that we have totally different political capitalistic views on things but that's okay because what does it matter it's just thoughts you know my my thoughts don't have to intrude or or even include anybody they're just my thoughts and i would just add to the thing that you're expressing here and say that i've learned this weekend from all of you and it hasn't always been something that was my point of view or my perspective or something that I would consider my stance on something, right? And that's the beauty of those conversations is hearing someone presenting what your ideas and your conversations are without the feeling that they're going to be condescended or that you're going to be less in their eyes because of what you said or because of your opinion or anything like that. It's been very open and with the idea that there's value in what people experience, what their knowledge gained is, it can also be yours if you listen, right? And so in doing that, I've definitely learned this weekend multiple things. And so that's something I would say to use in your military career. I feel like we do a lot of, I'm a PJ, I'm walking around and I know all this stuff, right? There are so many disciplines and skill sets that you need to learn as a PJ. You won't ever know everything. I promise you that. There's always somebody who knows another way to set up an anchor, a different way to tie a knot, a different gear placement or thing to bring that is valuable. 
right? And so approach it that way. The guys on your teams, the guys going through selection with you, at schools with you, in your squadron with you, they have value in their knowledge. If knowledge is power, go pick up as much of it as you can. Talk to people, hear people. Don't focus on winning an argument. Don't focus on the emotion of something that may have offended you. Focus on the value that's in the message, the perspective someone else has. Go to the countries you're going to and see people as people. Understand what they're going through. Learn what their life is like. That will help you be more effective. It'll help you be a better operator and you'll be human. Well, okay, so we can, can we talk about this because you're talking about all of the skills that a PJ has to do. Let's talk about all the skills an operator has to do, which is endless and constant optimization, right? And I mean, for, for, for the SR guys, it's radios, period, in a story. Like your radio is everything. I even argue that it's more important than your firearm, um, at least initially, yeah. Um, I think it is your primary weapon. And um, uh, not that SR guys are ever going to be JTACs. It's not your freaking job. You're not out there actually looking for combat. You're looking to just set everyone up to completely destroy so there's no loss of life. Like, that's what you're looking to do. Um, And those are some high-profile missions, too. But what I want to say is, okay, so you have to have confidence, though. You have to be like, I know how to do this. I know how to do that. I know how to do everything I'm going to do. So to me, that's confidence. But then you're saying that you shouldn't think that way. I'm a little bit confused. So, no, I agree with you. Confidence is important. You do have to know your mission, know your job, know that you're going to complete it. What I'm saying is just about knowledge in general. And the idea that there's always more to learn, there's always more to know. So approach it like you probably have a technique on a Foxtrot, 117 Foxtrot, that I've not used because I was taught by somebody else. The first technique is to uh, use the Golf, which is half the size and half the weight. Well, I'm a little bit old, so (laughs) (laughs) I didn't didn't have video chat while I was deployed. (laughs) I had a freaking landline phone that was being listened to that I could call my family on once a week or whatever the hell. So, yes, I had a 117 Foxtrot, and so maybe I could teach you some shit about the radio. So we never know. But that's, that's kind of what I'm talking about. See this right now. I'm talking about a radio that's obsolete that wasn't Micah's experience. He knows he knows that newer, better radio. I wouldn't be able to operate it if I didn't sit with him and learn from him and all of that. Each person that you encounter has something like that. They know that you don't know. So that's what I'm talking about. If you know that you know nothing and your mind is open and you just take it all in. Okay, so I got something. So, okay, what I just thought about here was that we're, we're talking about two different mental processes. One is delivering and one is receiving. So you have to be, con- you have to be confident, 100% confident in everything that you deliver is without a doubt true and going to work and whatever. But you're always not 100% confident. Well, I wouldn't say confident. You're always, as far as reception is concerned, like when you're receiving data as opposed to delivering data. There's more data to Can you finish? So I would just say, yes, I agree 100% with all the transmit. Then when you're receiving, just be always open to receive, right? Receive from each person that you encounter. Receive from each uh, situation you're put in. There's something to learn. There's something to know that you don't. So knowing what you don't know is just as important as knowing what you do know, right? Interesting. You learn or you grow? You're going to... Who has it? Who asked? Who asked what? 
<laughs> hey, I, I wanted to say something that that just kind of random. Okay. Um, when you're talking about trauma, war, operating, serious, you know, real things in life that affect human beings, um, and you go through these things, and you have uh, other people that are your peers or whatever that also go through these things, so that so they can relate to you and understand what's going on. Those are really the only people that you can open up to, I, I feel. Because if they haven't been through that type of thing, yeah, they can have some sort of... Maybe they're just an empathetic personality in general, but they don't have any frame of reference to understand what's going on. And i found a lot of times I just fucking scare people if I tell them something and they're not initiated into some sort of special operation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so you don't talk to those people. <laughs> you... you. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going to say this is one of the things that exists that we are still trying to figure out in the counseling world. In the VA, you have someone who went to undergrad, then they went to get their graduate degree, and then they they learned counseling by doing, were supervised by someone, grew as a counselor, they have knowledge and information that's valuable. But I have not found any of the guys in our career fields in the sister services at the levels where we operate that will trust that person if they are not a veteran or haven't been to combat or something like that and enable themselves to really truly open up and be honest and share the things that they protect most people they love from right we're protectors we're servants we're going to protect people around us that we care about from those terrible things so it's not really natural for people like us to communicate with just anyone about the really dark stuff. That's why we talk to each other. That's why we make jokes with each other. There are counselors out there that are combat veterans that you can instantly know you don't have to protect them from what you need to talk about. They've seen it. They've been there. They've done it. And that's one of the things that we're working on now is put guys like me in a counseling environment learn the techniques and all the things that work well and just be somebody that you can talk to because you know I've been there and seen it. And it's important, I think. So I think what you were saying, and this is like one of the big things that I miss from the military is I had dudes that I was on a hard team with that I could look at them and I knew exactly what they were thinking simultaneous. I mean, like, like dude you could say one word dude and he knew exactly what you said or you could just look at him and he knew exactly because you you're the same you know and you and you build those relationships with those people and those are the people that yes you need to talk to them and and th- and then that and, and yes it is like vulnerable because you're like hey dude <laughs> I need to talk to you about something and they're like oh you know because they got their own shit in their head you know but if if you're maybe a little bit brave or maybe you're just like hey you know blah 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 and you put it out there and then when they need you you can be there for them too and then it, you're building a relationship on different levels and making it even stronger because not only do I trust you militarily or team wise I now trust you as like a human being to be like this dude's got my back. Mike didn't kill all those people. Or if he did, he had a really good reason. Like, you know. <laughs> I, I think what what came to my mind was you all had a collective experience. Whether, maybe not the exact, right? But you 
through training and indoc however you got to where you were going you have this collective experience and then there's, there's that collective unconscious that surrounds that so that's why you all can just look at each other and see the nuance or a micro expression and know what that is that's just a thought that I when I think that just creates kind of a safe place for you to deal with something that is an odd feeling for you. I don't know what to do with this, but I'm standing in a room with another guy who knows exactly what I'm feeling, and we don't even have to say the words, right? And that's why sometimes we are just standing in a room staring at each other with one word or something. That is the reason why the F-bomb, you could say it six words in a row, and it can be the subject, the noun, the adverb, the adjective, all of those things. And even though it wouldn't make sense to anyone, the guy you're talking to knows exactly what you just said. And so that's, I think that has an extreme amount of value and I think we use it less than we should. I haven't seen Mike since 2008. We hung out, our boys were the same age at the time. They were all running around this new house that we had bought in San Antonio because we'd moved back from getting out of Okinawa um, and I came into Oki after Mike was there. And so we knew all the same people and we connected. One day, what is that, 13 years ago? <laughs> and now I'm hanging out with him for the first time since then. And we're having a blast and we're connecting. And we're able to do some of those things, have some of those conversations, alleviate some of that stress. But we haven't been doing that for the last 13 years and we should have been. Right, So that's the message I would send to these guys is keep those connections current. And even though you'll always be brothers and you can talk to each other after 20 years and it be the same conversation and have the same value, do it more often. Right? Yeah, and, and we were talking about this earlier this weekend and this is a good point, good good thing to bring up. When, when somebody pops into your mind, like sometimes a song will remind you of someone or, or whatever, some random shit happens and you think about somebody like an old friend or family member you haven't seen in a while, why the hell wouldn't you call him and say what's up if you got the time effort like because okay so if you're 19 when I was 19 and 18 and 20 I didn't really know nor did I care and I was surrounded by a lot of other people my age but as you get older those people fall by the wayside and you take a different path and then you become more and more unique with your walk of life right and so does everyone else so things become spread out and so all of a sudden, those relationships become really, really cool and fun and great if you've, if you've held on to them. Relationships from guys I was in high school with, in the military with, at different bases with, uh, in different groups with, that I worked with after the military, um, you know, whatever it may be, or people that I just met out and stayed in contact with and friends. There's a reason that they're popping into your head. You know, don't feel like you have to go call them, but if it's something that you'd want to do or maybe find it interesting, why would you not initiate that? Like, what I'm saying to you is 40, 50, 60, that could be a big fucking deal and really cool and, and really add to your life. And, and I would add that if somebody decides to retire or get out because they maybe want to take care of their kids or change their focus... You shouldn't hold it against them because they no longer want to do the job. All these jobs are voluntary, and if you know you you live and you grow and you decide you want to have a family, these jobs aren't the easiest to have a family. That's why Magic Micah became Magic Micah because he didn't have time for a family and he was having all the fun. Dude, when I was in Vegas, <laughs> the fucking old guys or even Moody, they on Monday mornings they'd be like, "What'd you do this weekend?" 
And I'm like, well, we've, exactly, because they're married and they can't do it anymore. So, like, how many fights would you do this weekend? And I would, Monday morning, was always telling the old guys how much fun we had that weekend. Yeah, I don't remember much, but I do remember grabbing this girl's hand, saying my name, and she was back in my apartment in five minutes. And they're like, what the fuck? I'm like, yeah, dude, it wasn't that good, but it was kind of cool. It's uh, a good story. Those are good stories. <laughs> I can beat it. <laughs> it wasn't five minutes. How long was it? Ten. Dude, I walked into a bar. She was having a drink. I said, what you doing? She said, I'm getting ready to go, but now that you're here, I'll stay. I said, no, we can go. She said, okay. We yeah. turned around and walked right out. Oh, that was before. <laughs> I, I was a PJ. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just going to defer. I've got plenty I've got plenty of stories but I will say this and maybe this is important for you guys to understand I was married when I got into the military I already had a baby boy Um, I've I'm still married to that woman we're about to be 22 years in a week congratulations thank you thank you thank you I've done nothing all the credit goes to my wife Yeah, and so, yes, I do, but I do have those stories. And I will say that it's a tough road for a family. Um, You can make it. You can can make mistakes. You can do stupid stuff and come back from it. Better not to when it comes to your relationship. Um, But there are guys who I feel like give up on the idea that they can have that relationship and do the job of a PJ, an SR, a combat controller, or whatever, and they kind of give up on saving it once they've made a mistake. You can do that, and if a guy is going through that, don't excommunicate him from the family because he's trying to save his over the career field. It doesn't mean he's choosing them over you. If you have a family, make that choice. Um, That is what I had to do, right? And all my brothers who were my brothers then are still there for me, we're still brothers. There's not a loss of connection. But in getting out, I was saving my marriage and my family and taking that step. And I continued to contract and do the job for a long time. Um, so you can survive. I was just doing stupid things and didn't understand how to. And it took me time to learn and figure those things out. So that's where that mentorship idea comes in. When you have guys who know how to transform from operator guy to dad or husband or boyfriend or any of those things to have connected relationships at home take that wisdom take the advice learn a little bit understand that there are more things to life than being that guy if you have someone out there that you're sharing your time with Um, do share it with them do be around them do communicate with them and find somebody who can help guide you through that process a lot of guys are in the career field on their second family or on their third or never getting married again um, with some tumultuous relationships with some tough stuff to deal with so that's part of this world yeah I want to add to that too and okay like I said I was married to the to the Air Force when I was in like I was married to the Air Force I really felt like that was like 100% dedicated to that and so I couldn't have girlfriends like of of any significance uh, you know introducing to my parents or whatever it may be you know whatever that protocol is and uh, I think that 
uh, you can do that, and you have seen guys do it. But the vast, like the divorce rate's already bad, and then the divorce rate in the military is even worse, and then the divorce rate in special operations in the military is even worse. Why? Well, you're gone all the time. I remember 2000, I believe it was 2010. I was off station for like 260 or 250 days out of 360, like, like just gone all the time, right? So if I brought a woman into that. Like, and then I'm there, but I'm gone most of the time. Like, what am I really bringing her into? Am I bringing her into something that I would want to be involved in? You know what I mean? Okay, no. So what I would suggest, and this is a very practical, and I love that I thought about this, all right? So get your freaking notepad ready. Find a girl, okay, or guy, you know, we're not judging either way, you know. Uh, I definitely had one of my buddies come out to me, uh, you know, when that don't ask, don't tell thing came down. I'm glad I was the dude that that was comfortable enough in my masculinity where he could talk to me and that was really cool and he goes off and does his thing so the only problem I had was when he was trying to brag to me about dudes he's picking up I'm like bro I can handle the visualization of like another guy like picking up a woman yeah. I do like the bragging but when you start talking to me about this guy coming back to your place I, I can't you and I just not I'm not getting good good feelings from that but anyway that's a tangent the are point I tried I, you know, you, you try and figure it out. <laughs> what was it? What was that one uh, quote I was saying about uh, somebody called him gay? And he's like, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> but anyway, that was a tangent. The point was this: Why not find a girl that? This is the practical advice. Why not find a girl that wants to be a lawyer or doctor? Because she's going to be nose down in her career, mirroring what you are nose down in your career. So that, in my opinion, could work. Um, Another one that I've seen work is kind of, well, this is pretty much exclusively people with very conservative religious backgrounds, whether it be, you know, whatever religion. Uh, so uh, they, they find a woman that their ambition was to be the mother of children and to be, you know, they, they didn't have any other ambition outside of that. And so they, while, you know, the dad or the operator is gone, they're, they're doing that because that's what they want to do. That's their passion anyway. So... You find a woman that her, her passion is just to be a, a you know, I say just to be, to be a stay-at-home mom and to take care of children. That's what she wants to do. And she's happy when you're gone and she's happy to do that, right? Or you find a woman that is very much involved in her career like you are in some sort of, you know, high-end pursuit that's going to take years and years because that's what you're involved in. So now you know you, you guys have something there. And then after you get through all of that, you can figure it out. So that's my practical advice for that, for relationships. So she needs to be independent and able to handle herself, mow the lawn, balance. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is, is like, you're an independent man. She's an independent woman. Like, we can be parallel going down the road with each other and mirror each other. And I like how you said that because that's... Because if you're dedicated and committed to this and they're dedicated and committed to that, it can coexist together. What if they're dedicated to only you? Like, okay... Here's the relationship that fails, okay? Every fucking time, and guys continue to do it, and they continue to lose their shirts financially and all their effort that they ever put in, you know, and it is what it is. They find a woman that is dedicated and committed to them, and it's beautiful, and maybe they never felt it before, and it's genuine, and it is genuine, and I'm not saying that it's not a connection, you know what I'm saying? Like, some of these guys go pick up strippers that are playing them and all that kind of stuff. That's not the point. I'm talking about a genuine connection where the woman is committed and dedicated to the man, and then he is dedicated and committed to the military, okay? So he's not, he can't be, 
He cannot be, and that's why it fails. And this relationship fails every single time because what I'm saying is you cannot be dedicated when you're 200 days plus gone. You're not. You're just not. Yeah, and I'll say, like, when I got married, my wife knows and did know all the time that my priorities were God, country, family in that order. Oh, yeah. And that was okay with both of us. That was something that was important to us that we shared as a value. Right, so a shared value means that you're going to do the things that you want and need based on that value. And if you're both in line there, yes, it's still going to be difficult, but at least that's something that you can point back to as a grounding or as a foundation in your relationship with knowledge understood by both parties. Like what you're talking about, you both know where the dedication is, you know that they're married to the military first. Um, even then, it doesn't work a lot of the time, right? Because of the factor of being away. But I will say that that, I think, is combined with one other thing, and it's communication. So we had a... So we... What type of communication are you talking about? Let's Because it's a broad subject, okay. and... I, I can get with that. So any communication with your significant other that has to do with your relationship, not your job, not her job, or his whatever it has to do with the two of you so for an example um, we had similar outage times for deployers um, got to Oki in 2003 stay there till 07 our squadron average was 300 days a year out of pocket right we did not have FaceTime um, we were not able to always communicate sometimes I could call on a sat phone sometimes I couldn't Sometimes I could call on the landline. Maybe she would be out with the kids eating lunch. And I, it was the only time I could call over the last three weeks, over the last month. Um, so a lot of our wives used to stay home all day fearing to go to the grocery store, fearing to go do anything because they didn't want to miss that phone call. The type of conversation we had was very surface level because she didn't want to invoke emotion into my job. And I didn't want to trouble her with the things that were happening overseas to make her more worried about me not making that phone call, right? Communicating with her has to be something that you put effort into if you want it to be sustained. There has to be real, honest, open communication that's outside of how was the weather today, how are the kids doing, you know, how was work, all that kind of stuff is surface. There has to be connected, valuable conversation whether it happens through email or any other form, doesn't matter. What matters is the content and the substance of it that keeps you connected while you're not physically together. And I believe you should never complain. If you if you do have to actually talk about something that's bad, like have kind of a fix or an idea of how to have the fix, because sometimes you do have to have those conversations. But... Yesterday, you said something that I thought, I thought was very important about the Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded. And we, I mean, that could be Western civilization for, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know how other people. Any religious, any religious group, it's the Christian army is the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. Okay. That when somebody's hurting, someone's in pain, someone's done something, they deem a mistake, right? There are a lot of people in organized religion that... They shun that person. Judge. Yeah, they push them off. They judge them. 
And that's one of the main reasons people stop going to church. They get judged by people in the church. They might believe in that doctrine or those principles, but it hurts them to be there because they're not perfect. And people are all acting like everyone is when it's the opposite, right? Which is what I was referring to. Like when, if, if you do have a wife or significant other and maybe she or he is friends with the other wife or significant other and you have an operator who's having marital issues, it should be no sides. We're here for everybody and anybody. Like, I mean, yeah, there's some terms that maybe you can have some sides. But for the most part, I believe that we all need to be there for each other, non-judging, and somebody help them out. And if you've got a fucking office and you're like, well, bro, it's my office, you're a fucking dick. You know, let the dude stay the night in your office. It's only an office. You know, like to turn down somebody is wrong. That's not the brotherhood. Support, support each other, support each other's families. You would, you would go mow the guy's lawn if the grass was long while he was deployed, right? So while he's home, why wouldn't you support him in whatever he's struggling through? Be a brother. That doesn't mean you always agree with the actions that someone else takes. It doesn't mean that you always have the answer or solution to the problem they're going through. It means you support him through it. You have a couch for him or you have the office, whatever it is that they need be there to provide it because like Mike was talking about before, that's your relationship, that friendship where it comes back to you with the benevolence and the altruism for each other or giving each other shirt or whatever they need is an important part of this. And that's the only thing that I feel like we do really well. And I haven't found an organization on the planet that's the same is actually being family. And that meaning an unconditional love where you will support someone, help them, be there for them without condition. Um, and I haven't found it anywhere, anywhere but in our community. This is a saying I heard from a great man. I know nothing of uncondition- unconditional love. I know nothing of unconditional love. And I don't know if it's possible. I think the goal and the striving like golf right you're always just trying to get the lowest score i think if you take that approach you're going to have a very very fruitful uh, life and 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 fruitful relationships but i I know nothing of unconditional love expectation you have to manage expectations in relationship and so whether you're in the civilian world or in the military world especially in romantic relationships, expectation is like the mother of all disappointment and problems because of bad communication, right? We don't have difficult conversations and we don't know how to have difficult conversations so we just avoid them. And so what I've been talking to young people about, especially young women, because women like to fix, right? They get in relationship because they can fix or based on potential. So what I say is... I never realized that. Did you not know this? <laughs> so, men work on cars, women work on men. <laughs> yeah, right? I can fix this. I can be... It's a whole Mike's thing. got a very healthy dating life. Mike, uh, <laughs> Mike dating life. My dating life goes up and down with the tides. But you learn, you learn more and more. Yeah, there's a lot of women that look to fix me, but you got, you got to shove, you got to push them away. We'll, we'll get there. I'm not bragging. That's checking not your a brag. <laughs> right. His stars are aligned with mine. 
what your, what your chakra's doing right now. So what I'm telling young women is, if you are in a relationship with someone based on their potential, you have to get out. Because if you cannot love and commit and be in a relationship with this man or woman, whatever, and he's never going to change or be anything different, then this is not the relationship for you. Because otherwise I'm expecting something. And when that expectation isn't met, well, then I'm pissed and now I'm resentful. And I can't even tell you why because I never told you what it was in the first place. Damn. That's that does I like that. I love him for the man he is. I love him for the man he wants to be. And I love him for the man that he someday will be. <laughs> well, it's funny because I think in relationship, expectations are a big, big deal. And so a lot of times, what, what I'm talking about with this... Uh, the operator that's dedicated to the military, right? And then the awesome woman that they meet that's dedicated to the operator. Well, the the, <laughs> the expectations are off right there because she's dedicated and committed to him, right? But she doesn't realize or she expects him to be dedicated and committed, reciprocated 100% back. He does not have the ability to do that because why? Right. right. It's... Right. It's it just it just can't be. It just can't be. It's an unrealistic expectation. If you're going, and this is just the little bit about I, I was not a PJ wife, so I don't know. I only know from things uh, I listen to, to and him. listening to. <laughs> I have a very good, um, reliable source, and so I just know from from learning and from listening. So it takes a certain kind of woman I guess to be in any kind of relationship but we're speaking specifically about this about this community you just have to be a strong motherfucker <laughs> right you're going to have to adapt and adjust you better have a lot of your houses in Aries I guess right because it's going to be a constant you have to adapt and adjust and the societal expectation or the societal's painting of what family is and what marriage is is not real None of it's real. It's it, it can be very hard, but it's also very beautiful. But you, we have to start accepting that it's not what we think it is. It's hard and it's messy and it's dirty and people make mistakes and blah blah blah. And truth default theory comes into play and all kinds of things that we're constantly ignoring. So I don't know where I was going with that. That's what I got. <laughs> well, I think it's important to know I, that that person you're getting into this relationship with has to understand the expectations but also has to be the person that you're going to fight through and overcome things with um my wife and i were best friends before we started dating and that led to a very good relationship but we had our problems we had our issues the one thing that we knew about each other was that we would rather have no one next to us fighting through the most painful thing that could possibly happen Right, And when it was painful and difficult and we weren't together, we knew that when we came back together, we would be able to do that as one and recover together and build and grow together. And so being able to lean on the idea that that is the person that you will travel through pain and hell with, counting on them, them counting on you, supporting them, them supporting you. That's what will make that relationship survive if you understand the expectation because then when it gets difficult, you're fighting through it together. If you're fighting through it individually, that's going to become too painful and too difficult, and you will be not in that relationship. It becomes a marriage of convenience. And Mike and I look at couples all the time. They don't. They never do this. 
No yeah. one's ever just this simple thing. Yeah. Connection. Yeah, just they're that connect. They're not connected, and so over time, right? If we're not communicating, if I if I can't hold space to listen to hard things, even if it makes me uncomfortable, then what am I really? How am I fostering the growth of this relationship? Right? If I'm not willing to make myself vulnerable and tell him things, what does that say about me? Right? I'll just hold it back. I don't want to. I don't want to bother him with my stuff. I'll work it out on my own. Well, to some extent, I don't need to dump all my daily crap. But over time, that creates separation, and it takes. You have to become uncomfortable, unfortunately, to become connected. Sometimes, right? It's those scars. It's those wounds. It's those things that make us itchy. Walk, stepping towards your fear, right? You have to go to your fear, walk through your fear in order to conquer your fear. So, Dr. Jane Goodall, when we talk to these young guys about about these relationships, how do they find the girl that they want to travel through all of this with them? How do they know? How does Micah know that that's shit. the one? <laughs> how do they find that? What are they looking for? So we'll pass it to Jane Goddard. I'm going to give you the magic mic answer. Uh, stop looking. Okay, stop fucking looking. She'll find you. At all, every time she'll find you, guaranteed. And you're going to you're gonna be like, uh, like, has a hot woman walked by you and has she, do you just like not, she didn't catch your eye? <laughs> she didn't catch your eye? That doesn't happen. Like, that's her job. She's supposed to catch your eye and then you go after it. But don't look for it. They'll come to you. And to, and, okay, so you guys can talk about this. Who you're going to meet in your 20s, that a 20-something is going to be different than a 30-something, which is going to be different than a 40-something. Yeah. So you guys that are in your late teens and early 20s... Find a 40-year-old. Find a 40-year-old. <laughs> and find someone that has some life. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying. Um, same thing. Go. And it may be intimidating because she's 40, like I was 24, and this woman was 36, right? <laughs> and she already had a kid, and, you know, she was fucking sexy so she had tons of guys like wanting her and I had to go in there and, and what I was saying was this is just going to be the worst sex ever like, I, the, like I, I I, don't know what the fuck I'm doing you know what I mean like I was young I didn't know what the hell I was doing I still probably don't know what the hell fuck I'm doing so but like once I established that I took the pressure off and then we had a great relationship so and so let's imagine this on a grander scale that this but this taught is me a lot. That's, what that's exactly this becomes the norm okay. rather than 20 somethings with 20 somethings sorry 20 somethings but two dummies who've just been looking in their phones for the past 10 years and haven't really learned anything what the poor you poor guys the poor the blind leading the blind okay so what if the paradigm is in your 20s as a male you are you spend some time with an older woman and you learn from uh, an older woman who has been married or been divorced and had relationship and had jobs and knows herself and understands her sexuality a lot more than a 20 something is going to that's not a bad thing and if and if younger women, I don't know the solution to this yet. I'm going to have to think do. about it. Yeah. Women are actually smarter. Right. Yeah, they're always smarter. We're going to flip the script. Right. We're already doing this. Yeah. Tune more into our intuition about being a younger woman mm-hmm. rather than always having to buy into Because the, the societal game of being a woman is you're never good enough. Ever. Whether I'm 20 or 45, it's that's that's the message. You gotta look a certain way. You gotta be a certain way. Blah 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 blah. So we're constantly battling with what the external forces are telling us and trying to be okay with, with ourselves, which we're not. Hence selfies and blah blah blah. So we as women need to spend some time with ourselves, becoming confident, bonding with each other instead of fighting with each other all the time. There's just a lot of work we need to do as a society about that. <laughs> I'm 
All right, there, 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 there's the new car, the shiny sports car, right? And definitely you should drive one at some point in time. But then there's what Cat Williams, I'll, I'll take it from him, Cat Williams, the comedian, likes to call the old classic. <laughs> and the old classic is that woman that's, uh, you know, like you said, she's she's got some stripes. It's not necessarily an age, but she's, you know, maybe married, divorced once or twice, or like had a serious relationship, got out of it. She knows what that's all about. She's had sex with more people than you have, right? Because so it's two for you, your hand and your mom. Yeah, your hand. <laughs> you can't. You, can, you came out of your mom and then you used your hand. <laughs> no, but so these types of things like will grow you the hell up fast. So like, that, I like that. So you guys are advocating to look for sophisticated sexy. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> what, what you're hearing, all right, so I think the woman has to find you. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not going to work because she's smarter than you and knows Probably. what. Yeah. Well, because right, so when I was 19, I dated a 40-year-old, and I dated her until I joined the Air Force. And I, I even asked her, I was like, you know, and she's like, nope. You need to go live your life. I've already lived mine. We're good. And but she taught me so much. And and you don't necessarily anybody learn from somebody. You know, don't think you know the answers. And you're definitely not getting the answers from porn because that's not realistic. Um, what half? Wait, wait a If you watch porn, which porn is good, if if his penis is not wet, the girl is not enjoying it. Like there's all kinds of signs that you can see. And you're like, hmm, so it's not realistic. But I like sounds and energy, so... <laughs> so, I grew up on porn. I, you know what I mean? I said the advent of the internet, dude. I came from 56K dial-up, like, uh, you know, you would dial in, turn the phone line down, get up late at night when everyone's everyone's asleep, you get up late at night, and you, you know, maybe get a video or some pictures. I mean, it was, like, old school. And then you got porn up on your phone now, so, like, you want to talk about optimization. Human beings are on it. But I didn't start getting laid consistently, consistently until I broke my porn habit. And I don't watch porn at all. Period. End of story. And it's just something that it, what it did for what, what I thought. I started to look at everybody like they were a porn star. All women, I would just look at them like that's all they were. And I missed everything. How did you get to that conclusion? What made you? The pain of not getting laid. Okay. I understand. Keep going. Oh, yeah. So the pain of not getting well, not, the pain of not getting laid, or like you know, being how like. How do you correlate the two? Uh, what do you mean? How do I correlate the two? What? But I'm not getting laid because I'm now everyone looks like a porn star. Oh, okay, okay. I just started to. I think I came across uh, like a dating guy or something like that, and he the suggestion was stop watching porn. It's polluting your mental. And I was like, whoa, okay, let me check this out. You know what I mean? And then once I listened to what he was saying, it was like, yeah, no, that's true. Fuck, I got I to gotta kick this habit. You know, like I can't, I can't just freaking, you know, you're training your body. You're training your body, not only your mind, but you're training your body also in a way that is unnatural. Like porn is not natural sex at all. And natural sex is way better than porn ever could fucking be. So like if that's not motivation to drop your shit, like, you know. Some of us sometimes have a little stress and we only need about 30 seconds to relieve ourselves yeah. and then we can go on on our day. I'm not like, I, I'm not staring at it for hours like, yeah, dude, I got, I got 30 seconds. Oh, all right. And you get back to what you need to get done. Like that's, that's, 
That's what I use it for. Can I say something? <laughs> yeah, well, just before, just before yeah. we go there, I want to make sure that all these young cones know that they should not be watching what Uncle Mike is watching <laughs> for that... Uncle for that, for that 30 minutes or whatever it is, 30 please, 30 seconds. Yeah, <laughs> combined into 30 minutes over time. <laughs> like he only has to get one show at a time because he watches it in pieces, right? But do not, do not check his search history. Do not mimic his inquisitive <laughs> mind in the world of sex. Wait, that will come just like the sophisticated sexy woman will come. Stay away from that for now, right? I like the sophisticated sexy. That that's that we are advocating for sophisticated sexy. For sure, why not? That's definitely the case. So we're we're almost home. So we'll start wrapping up because usually my wrap ups take about twenty minutes anyway. So what, what topics have we covered? What topics haven't we covered? So many. Yes, El Wapo. I would say we have covered a plethora of topics. I just want to say something. As the observer, you three are, are brilliant. Like, you're three very brilliant men. And I get to learn, and I talked about this on our way up down to the coast. I, you teach me so much about the way that you think and the way that you process information and then the way that you explain things. So I, I just really appreciate that. And I really hope everyone that's listening gets, I know you'll all get the same thing, but I hope you'll listen to the end of this podcast too that I just really appreciate you guys and, so, and thank you for sharing such vulnerable things like you're grown ass men and we're having real conversations and the point is to help others and so I just really appreciate that and one of the best things I enjoyed this weekend was watching all three of you play in the ocean like little boys uh, <laughs> it just made my heart sing the diving in waves and surfing. it was amazing if you're a PJ and you don't believe the ocean is your home and the only place you should be <laughs> to feel joy and peace you're in the wrong place that's my closing. You guys are great. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Yes, thank you for that. So, uh, at the end of every, what well, you know, the strongest thing the Air Force has are our debriefs. Because mm-hmm. that's where we learn our lessons. Uh, are we starting the debrief now? <laughs> the debrief will start now. <laughs> well, so, at the, I, I figured this whole thing was a debrief of this weekend and, and whatever things kind of popped up. But so I would always end my brief my debriefs with any questions comments or concerns like any redirects or any reattacks anything we missed anything i forgot and so we'll we'll go around and um and see you know we start with you oh we start with ben we start with me because i only have two concerns mike and micah and i need to see you guys in my office Mo- more recently than 30 30 days from now we need to have a professional conversation after we've had this friendly conversation because there's some shit we need to talk about. I mean, I'm not saying I'm any different. I'm just saying I've got a space for it. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm down for another episode of this uh, podcast as well in the future for sure. Uh, all right, Mike, a uh, question for you. Um, What made you okay? This is this could open something up and keep it longer, but I just what made you decide to retire? Like, when did you come to terms? When did you decide that was going to be the case? And then, sort of, how did you approach that transition? Because you were in longer than both of us combined. So, so what's funny when when I was a young PJ, uh, the the measure of you can be a PJ is can you still climb a rope ladder with all your gear 
under the helicopter or are you a liability? And the day that you're a liability and you can no longer climb up that rope ladder is the day that you're like, uh, I'm a liability. And um, I had a jump and I fucking did not know I was a liability. I was praying, my shoulders were so fucked up by that point. Like, I just prayed the entire last, like, 3,000 feet. Just like, please, God, let me fucking... Oh, and then trying to fly down as my hands are numb. And I'm just like, holy shit. Like, I could have hurt somebody or myself. I, I need to go to the doctor. And so it was... I finally came to a physical point where I didn't think I could keep my everybody else safe. And, and part of the contract is... I got to be 100%, you got to be 100%, and then together we're 350%, you know, but I'm not going to let you down, and I couldn't do it anymore, and it was a very hard and sad thing to be like, I can't do this job anymore, but at the same time, growing old or getting to the age where you, you know, you don't think, at 18, fuck, I thought I was going to die at 18, oh, no way I'm going to make it 21, right, by the time I'm 21, I I figure, fuck, I'll be dead by 30. But by the time 30 comes, I've got two kids and I can't die, you know, and I have other things that I need to be responsible for. And I'm realizing, like, I have other people that I have to be responsible for. And if I die, they've got nobody and nothing. So the children being my fail safe of like everything I do has been for them. And I was like, I can't do it anymore. You know, I have to put them first and and stop. Otherwise, this isn't going to go anywhere. And, and it's a very sad, hard, weird thing, like, walking away from the team and dudes are like, you're leaving us. You're like, yeah, I got to leave you because I got two people who need me and they're four and two, you know, and I, what, what, what else am I supposed to do? So it wasn't like a hard decision. It was more for a sad decision for me. And, okay, and then what was your approach to getting out? Did you have sort of, uh, you know... So this, this is a good question because this goes back to my mind uh, brainwashing thing. So when I was seven years old, I I saw a surfer for the – well, I realized I saw a surfer. And I was like, oh, my God. That is, like, the coolest thing I've ever seen. This dude was dancing on water and was was gliding. And I just – I was blown away. All right? Um, I don't actually get to surf or buy a surfboard until I'm 13. But the whole time I'm, like, blown away. All right? The girl across the street from me, her name's Shelly Mahoney, super duper hot, surfer chick, skated, water volleyball, and really good in French. And she sounds fine as fuck, though. (laughs) (laughs) She was. She resembles Shanda in a lot of ways. Shanda had her hair in a ponytail that reminded me, like, oh, Shelly. But same tan and everything. So she turns me on to this band called the Surf Punks. And she gives me the tape. And I play this tape every night before I go to sleep from the age of 7 until 16. All right? And this song had... Is that the only thing she turned you on to, Mike? <laughs> yes. She. I was lucky she gave me the time of day but because I was like probably very annoying to her. Because as a 16-year-old who wants a 7-year-old boy in love with you. But she was very nice to me. And uh, her her mom had actually been married to Ron Wood of the Stones at one point. So they weren't doing too bad. And uh, so she lets me ride her skateboard. And all that, but she turns around this band. And this band had 
the the album is called um, God dang it, Locals Only. All right, it's their second album. Came out in 1981, and it has songs like "I Was Born to Surf," and it has all these things that I would play. Like even the idea of like summer's coming, I have to break up with you because surfing is more important than anything. Like, do not let women get involved in the way of your surfing. Like, do not move inland. Do not get married. Your surfboard rides in the front of the car. Like, I mean, surfing was everything. And I believe that I brainwashed myself before the Air Force brainwashed me. And so I reverted back to my original. Surfing's always been my thing. Like, it gives me peace. It gives me happiness. It gives me water confidence. It's, it's everything and anything. You know, and if you can find someone you can surf with, that's even better. But it, it's my communication with God. When I'm out surfing, I am talking to God. Uh, surfboard is an altar to me. I am showing, I am dancing for him or her. I am doing my utmost to show I am enjoying what you've given me. And and so that's all I did. I just went back to surfing. And and what was this girl's name again? Shelly Mahoney. So Shelly Mahoney, if you're in reach of this podcast, actually Magic Micah is looking for an older woman. Um, and I believe that you would fit the sophisticated, sexy description if you're still He surfing. wasn't listening. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. But you can find me. <laughs> I'm not looking. But can be found. <laughs> not looking, but can be found. Yeah. Yeah. So the next time... <laughs> so the next time we have this conversation, I want to go deeper into the brainwashing, but... Because uh, Mike Malloy brought up to me, he's like, you know, they teach us that it's about other people, not us, and brainwash us to the point that we are so dedicated that we will die for anybody. And then, like you said, when you step away from that, you now have to be like, okay, I don't have to die for everybody. I don't have to die for anybody. (laughs) What do you do? You know? I know you're trying to wrap this up, but I'm not. I, oh, you're not. Oh shit! Okay, because we could go for another hour, like or five minutes. I don't know. But now you're now you're spurring some questions for me. So so okay, you want to talk about altruism? Altruism, putting someone else like someone else's uh, life ahead of your life, valuing someone else's life ahead of your life, sacrificing, maybe not even valuing someone else's life ahead of yours, but sacrificing so that someone else can maybe have a second chance or be saved or whatever it may be so now you get out of the military that is not a civilian mindset at all like at all so how do you tone that back right from years and years so i think of myself as a judas monk and i and in in as being a pj i approached you're you're a warrior monk or you're a seal priest right this is the job and so that dedication, the commitment, when when I was a young PJ and was broke, there was an older PJ named Mike Mahoney. A lot of Mahoney's in my life. And um, he's like, Maroney, dudes, a lot of, you wear a lot of hats in your life. You might be a father, you might be a son, you might be in charge, you might not be in charge. You might, you're, you're a whole bunch of different things. You know, you're a utility player for, you know, <clears throat> baseball reference. And he goes, I can't save anybody anymore. But if I help you and you make it, I will therefore still be helping people and that circle keeps going. And and I like that in that I'm, I'm all about waves. 
right? Everything's waves. Everything's turtles all the way down and it's waves all the way across. It's sound waves, it's energy waves, it's, and I send ripples, right? Oh, sorry, I catch a wave. When I get back out there, I splash a couple splashes to give waves back to the ocean for giving me waves. I'm always trying to give back more than I get. Uh, say we're staying at somebody's house, <clears throat> or say we're having dinner at your house. Dude, I did your dishes, right? You just do something nice. Last time I invited uh, Mike and San- uh, Sandra, Sandra. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Sandra. Chandra. 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 Shanda. Jesus Christ, sorry. Shanda and Mike, I invited them over to my house. I had to step out for a little while. I came back, my dishes were done, and they dropped off two pictures. By the way, I put those pictures up in the window, and they look freaking phenomenal. And it's just like, what the fuck? Like, why? You know what I mean? Like, thank you. That That's, you know, that's just what it is. So, do you think I'll do that for somebody else? Actually, you know, I have actually done that for somebody else. Come to think of it, but um, so I guess I sold that a little bit. But yeah, I will definitely do that for somebody else in the future because why? If, if the opportunity presents itself, because it's freaking awesome, dude. We we end up routinely at like friends' houses with kids, and they just got home from work, and they're like, "Oh my god!" And Shannon and I just whip up dinner and do the dishes, and just a little something. That, you know, people are like, "Oh," you know, because if I can alleviate a little bit of stress off you. How much more can you do? Because then you're like, all right, my, and then your cup gets a little bit filled, you know, and and then you know you did somebody's dishes, so we did your dishes. Somebody filled your cup. It's that just continuously the energy that I was talking about. You know, if you take care of people, people will take care of you. So I think it's it's funny that this is going with the wave idea and all of that coming full circle and everything because the ripple effect is what I talk about a lot with why I coach because a mentor coached me and so I coach other people I want them to have the same thing I have so I'm kind of I'm paying it forward but that ripple effect of that mentor then is going to other people through me right and that idea of the butterfly effect which was first called the seagull effect because it was actually a seagull's wing beat on a beach in Central America can cause a typhoon in Asia right that's the idea that this micro dose of a movement can become something much greater and does and so that correlation um, with what we're doing is also tied to something very important for healing from trauma called post-traumatic growth if you do something for somebody else it helps you grow through traumatic experience it helps you get to what you can say peace and it's, it's valuable. It's one of the reasons that we're all doing what we do in these small doses is because we're healing from our traumas through serving somebody else. It's part of it. So one of my mottos is submission to none but service to all. And I tell the cones, I'm like, you are lower than scum, but you are not scum. You are only lower than scum so that way every single thing on this planet is above you and that way you're able to give service. And, and, that, and that's the way I kind of live. Well, that's the way I do live. So where my message is, be human, your message is, you're scum. Lower. <laughs> lower than scum. Lower than scum. Lower than scum. <laughs> be human or you're lower than scum. Pick one. It's a variation on theme. <laughs> I'm not saying they are so... I've never claimed to be articulate. I just have words and I put them together. English is not my first language. 
<laughs> so I'm doing my best with it. <laughs> um, this has been bla- so. Yeah, I mean, let's do this again sometime if people have time. Uh, I mean, this this is how Joe Rogan started. <laughs> so just drive around town and just drive around and talk. I think the audience, the audience is, I don't know, it could be anybody. It's not even just, not even just military, but it could be really anybody. Yeah. Any man, any man out there or woman, but probably mostly men. (laughs) Uh, Shanda? You've said it all. You all have said it all. It's good. Good Yeah, it's, it's Sandra. Ooh, you must say it Shanda or she will leer at you. <laughs> so thank you guys for coming and uh, thank you Cody for being such a good quiet dog. Amazingly, we didn't know you were here, Mr. Pickles. Uh, if you get a chance, I'll, I'll put the link. Check out uh, The Lone Nut. Because I think it really sums up what we just talked about in the last thing. And then this could also be entitled, uh, Oh, so you want to marry a PJ? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you want to marry a PJ, huh? Let's talk. Were, there, were there any former PJ wives on that one? <laughs> you can trust the PJ with your wallet and your life, but not your wife. <laughs> Look, the point, the point is this, and I'll leave you guys with this. We're grown-ass men, all right? We're grown ass men. Period. End of story. Period. End of story. Hey, man. Who ya? Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed it. And we'll chat in the future.